Hello, Red Rocks. My name is Sean Johnson. Not the female gymnast, in case you're confused. I've had 27 surgeries in the last 10 years as a church. I just want to welcome you if you're visiting with us for the last time. <laughs> right? All right, I'll, I, I can't do this. <laughs> I was... Uh, I was out of state preaching last weekend, and so I didn't get to hear Sean's message, and so I was at the gym this week, and I was uh, playing it while I was doing my workout, and I heard him talking trash, and I heard him telling you that he had surgery on his rotator cuff because he dunked on me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, a couple things with that. Um, number one, have you ever, you, you see him, right? He clearly is not dunking on anyone. <laughs> He's got a two-inch vertical, Right. And you would have to go out and play basketball to be able to dunk on me. And he's basically 50, and so he clearly doesn't play basketball anymore. I have seen him get injured watching basketball. Literally pull a hammy jumping up to yell at the refs on his couch. But other than that, I have had nothing to do with his surgery, okay? And so, Sean, I'm just putting you on notice. If you want to play that game, next time remember who's preaching the week after you, all right, buddy? Because I'm always going to win this every single time. Now, here's what we're supposed to do at church if you're visiting with us. Uh, read the Bible. And we're going to do that in a minute. I promise you. But we need to do this first. We need to, at all of our campuses, greet the visitors at Evergreen and Lakewood and Littleton and Arvada and across the pond at Brussels. We love you guys. And you guys know what I'm doing next. Can we give a Christmas round of applause and welcome to all the men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses? We love you guys so much. Love that we get to have church with you guys every week. So cool. Now, hey, if you're visiting with us, uh, we're in a series at Christmas, which is kind of audacious, about generosity. And it's not just generosity in general. It's specifically generosity about the area of finances. That's a dangerous thing to do. It's either brilliant or really stupid. We'll let you know in January to talk about this stuff during the Christmas season. And I say that to simply say, I'm about to pray as I always do before the message. And I always feel the weightiness of the job that God's allowed me by his grace to do to get up here as a broken flawed middleman and talk to you about his written and holy word that's a really uncomfortable yet beautiful thing that I get to do and so I always want to start my sermons off by making sure that you know that I know that this is a privilege and that this is a high honor and a big responsibility and I felt extra weight this week because of the subject matter and so will you guys do this and again you guys don't need another message from Sean or Chad you guys need to be spoken to prophetically and in a timely fashion by God himself, okay? So can we pray that in these next few minutes that you're not hearing the voice or the opinion or the thought of Chad, but that we are hearing the written and the holy word of God at all of our campuses. Are you guys with me? Let's pray as a church family. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word, every time it's spoken, accomplishes something before it goes back to heaven. God, I thank you that the truth is what sets us free and the truth that we're about to look at this weekend is beautiful, but it is challenging. And so God, I pray that you would get our hearts in a good posture and in a good place to be challenged. God, I know every week has a different theme and a different feel. This is, this is a weekend of being challenged. And so God, I now pray in the name of your son Jesus that you would take over and this would be a divinely beautiful moment and it's for your glory we pray Jesus everyone said amen, amen. again if you missed last week 
You have to go back to a, the uh, podcast on iTunes or to our app and listen to it because this is a building block message. This is hopefully, if I do my job well, a compliment to what Sean, the foundation he already laid last week. And I, I listened to it other than him lying and saying he heard himself dunking on me. I listened to that message so proud going, what an incredible message on giving and financial generosity. And so I hope I can only come alongside him and build off of that this week. If you missed it, go back. And listen to it. But this time, last weekend, Sean stood up here and he made one sentence that I want to repeat to you guys because this is what we want December and really the whole life of our church to be all about. He made this statement. He said, we're not just going to be a church that talks about generosity. We're going to be a church that's actually generous. Now, what's interesting is when Sean said that last Saturday night at the Littleton campus, what none of us knew is that there was another church in town called LifeGate. And all of their equipment, because they're a newer church plant, and just like our equipment's up at the Evergreen campus, all of it's in a trailer, $100,000 worth of equipment for LifeGate Church, which is an incredible church that meets in Cherry Creek High School every weekend. You should go check it out. It's awesome. All of it got stolen while Sean was up here making that exact statement. And we would hear about it uh, a little bit later from Pastor Nairup and a bunch of people on social media. And so we as the director sat there with your guys' faithful giving and money and said, God, what's our role to play in this? Because it's not Red Rocks Church in Denver, right? We can never think that. We're not here to be Red Rocks Church in Denver. We're here to just be an expression of the body of Christ in Denver, capital C. And so when, life groups, when LifeGate Church suffers, guess what we do? We suffer with them, and we don't just suffer with them by telling you, hey, we're praying for you, and that matters. Don't, don't make any mistake about it. Praying for you matters, but praying for you is not enough when we're a church by God's grace that has a financial situation where we can actually do something about it. God didn't just bless us to have a bunch of amenities here and to pour it on here. God blessed us in your faithful giving so that when situations at like LifeGate Church happens, we can go, guess what? God's been so good to us and the reason he did it is so now we can help you because we know what it's like to be LifeGate. We know what it was like several years ago ago to be a church in its infantile stages, right? It was just being birthed and babies are vulnerable as it gets, right? And if that would have happened to us, it would have crushed us unless another church that was farther down the road than us would have came alongside of us. And so we just said, hey, how much did your insurance cover? And Nairup told us, and we said, hey, by God's grace, I just want to say on behalf of Red Rocks Church and the Faithful Giving, we'll cover the rest of it. And that's your guys's. That's not ours. That's your guys's faithful giving. Pastor Nairup was so taken back, their whole staff came over to Sean's office a couple days ago and we sat together for about 30, 45 minutes and we just high-fived and we hugged and we exchanged stories and then we prayed for each other and went our separate ways. But uh, Nairup wanted to send this to you guys, so watch this. Hey, Red Rocks Church, my name is Narup Alphonse. I'm the lead pastor of LifeGate Church here in Denver. You know, last Saturday night when Pastor Sean was preaching at Red Rocks about generosity, our church was literally being robbed. Everything we own was taken from us. And in a matter of just a day or two, Red Rocks Church, your leaders, your pastors stepped up and they said, hey, we're here to help you. We're not just gonna talk about being generous, we're gonna be generous. Red Rocks Church, thank you so much for your generosity in helping us get back on our feet, restoring to us what was taken from other people. We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful that you don't just talk about generosity, you actually believe it and you 
live it. What I love is you're not just about Red Rocks Church, you're about Denver and what God is doing in Denver. I'm so grateful for you, for your partnership, your friendship. May God bless you. Thank you so much for your generosity. We love you. Yes, isn't that awesome? I'm grateful for LifeGate Church. Uh, Pastor Narup is an incredible preacher of God's word. And you remember that name if you don't already know it because that church is gonna continue to build and build and help us win the Denver Metro for the glory of Jesus. And so what an honor that our generosity got to play a part. And I I have to say this so you don't think we're not trying to make Red Rocks a hero here at all. There was a bunch of churches that stepped up and came alongside them as well. And that just made me happy to be a pastor in this community. Isn't that incredible? And so I just want to make sure you know we as the directors how grateful we are because my favorite thing about this church and I have a long list of what I love about this church my favorite thing about this church is your guys's generosity from day one when we had nothing until day uh, year 12 when we, God has been so good to us and we, we sit in exceedingly abundantly more than we ever thought or imagined. Man, it's such an honor because your generosity never ceases to amaze us. In fact, your generosity has been so audacious over these last 12 years that we felt dumb enough or smart enough to go, we're gonna talk about generosity at Christmas. I think our church is the type of church that would say, okay, let's get after it even in a vulnerable season Christmas. And so here we are. We titled this series, this three-week series, The Grace of Giving. And we got that title from a, a statement that the Apostle Paul makes in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so we're going to read that right now. I'm going to start in verse 1. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, I don't want us to read this too fast. And I want to challenge you as we read this again this week to sit in the tension, okay? I want you to sit as I read this in a little bit of honesty about how you feel about how this very impoverished church in Macedonia, and Paul's writing to a very wealthy church in Corinth, I want you to sit in the tension of the type of giving that they were showing us. Because if you really start to think about what the Apostle Paul is going to brag on and say about their generosity, you got to go, man, that's otherworldly. In fact, some of you, if you read it the way I read it as an analytical person, you're going to read what they did and how they gave and you're going to go, that's not just audacious, that's irresponsible. Right? Let's read it. It says this. In the midst of a very severe trial, the church in Macedonia, their overflowing joy. You don't see this sentence Structured this way, hardly ever. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. How often do you see someone's story where there's, uh, what did he say? Overwhelming joy. Well, at the exact same time, there's extreme poverty. And what did their overwhelming joy do in the midst of their extreme poverty? It created, what did Paul say? Rich generosity. And I read that and the spiritual side of me says, awesome. I want to be that type of church. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a part of that type of church that has that Macedonian spirit. But then the fleshly analytical side of me says, totally irresponsible. You're not supposed to be giving like that. You're supposed to be receiving like that from other churches like the church in Corinth that has all kinds of resource, right? It goes on to even get better. Paul says, for I testify. In other words, he knows firsthand. He saw it. He received it, that they gave as much as they were able, which blows my mind. And then I'm offended by what he says next. At least my intellect is offended. 
but even beyond their ability, they gave. Entirely, this blows my mind, on their own. They urgently pleaded with us. Who are these people? They urgently pleaded with us, listen to this, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And then here we go again. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urged Titus. Titus was the campus pastor at the church in Greece called Corinth. So we urged Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning or a start to bring also to completion. And here's the key phrase right here. This act of grace on your part. And I want to camp on that for just a second because there's no way a church that was in such a desperate situation and as Paul put it, a severe trial, extreme poverty, there's no way a church could give the way the Macedonian church did unless it was a complete act of grace. This wasn't just a unique group of humans who just happened to all go to church together and have this unusually unnormal sense of generosity. This was the grace of God taking over people's hearts. And we sell grace sometimes. We sell it way too short. We sell it way too small. We don't say grace the way we need to say what grace is. Grace is not just pardoning and grace is not just forgiving. That's the entry point of the grace of God. Grace is way more holistic than that. This is why we're a grace church and we unapologetically every week talk about the grace of God. Grace is power to live. You understand that? Uh, Titus chapter 2 says it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and live holy upright lives in this present evil age. Do you see that? Grace doesn't just pardon. Grace is actually the power of the Holy Spirit at work on the inside of you to do things that may look irresponsible on paper, but are holy in the eyes of God. And this is what the Macedonian church does. And this is the type of church that we dream of being and continuing to be is a church that even when things aren't going great for us, one thing that we will never quit doing is being generous people. But listen to me, it can only be an act of grace from God. Grace is God empowering you to be something and to do something that you otherwise would not or could not on your own in your own strength. You understand that? And this is the Macedonian church showing us what grace looks like. They not only gave what they could, they gave more. And then they asked for the privilege to continue to be a part of the giving to help poor people. What an incredible thing. Paul says this then to a really wealthy church. He's using this Macedonian church as the standard, as the example. And they're poor and he's, took, he's talking to this rich church and he says this. And this rich church, man, they're doing awesome. They're killing it on so many levels. Listen to what he says. Hey, you're excelling in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love that we've kindled in you. Now here's what he says. See to it and here's where we get the, the sentence for the series. See to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. I've titled the message for this weekend, and this is a phrase that I've been thinking about for a while now, and I wanted to roll it out because I think I can make the theological case that this phrase is God-honoring and appropriate. And here's the title of your message this weekend. It's this, Holy Irresponsibility. When I read about the Macedonian church and I stop and I really meditate on what they did and I don't pass over it too quick, this radical generosity, the only thing my mind and my heart could tell me in my conversation with God was, God, what they did, 
just feels so holy in my heart. And in my mind, it feels so irresponsible. Kind of like doing a series on finances and taking an offering on December 17th, an above and beyond offering during Christmas in America. That seems holy in my heart, God, but it seems irresponsible in my mind. And don't act like a bunch of you don't think that right now or last week, right? It just feels holy and it feels great. And I know the pastors can attach some verses to this giving series and this offering we're going to take December 17th. I know they can do that, but in your mind you're going, man, it just seems irresponsible. What about the single mom just trying to get by at Christmas and give her kids a few presents and now she's sitting under the weight of an offering that we're taking at Christmas? That can't be responsible, can it? It feels holy, it feels neat. But it can't be responsible. And I'm just here to tell you that generosity, the essence of being a generous person, is a person that can walk in holy irresponsibility. Here's what I mean. Let me, let me give you a, a definition of it from Jesus himself. This is Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, he starts to talk about, in, in, in this sermon, he starts to talk about specifically people that would wrong you and me in this lifetime. You know that. You know what it's like to wrong people. And you and I know what it's like to be wronged by people and to sit under the weight of that contention. You and I know what it's like to have enemies in our lives. You and I know what it's like to have oppressors in our lives. You and I know on a national level what it's like to have enemies and who we're the enemy of, right? And so Jesus, in the most famous sermon ever, he addresses what kingdom people, full of God's grace, who are empowered to do something and act in a way they couldn't on their own, he starts to tell them what kingdom people actually act like when you have an enemy or an oppressor. Let's read it. Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for tooth. This is what everybody was born into, right? This was the government and the system for thousands of years before Jesus. This was the basic tenet of you do this to someone, we're going to enforce this back on you, right? We do it with murder and capital punishment. And can we have an honest moment? If somebody kills someone in cold blood, doesn't your intellectual senses go, we need to kill them then? Doesn't that make sense? We can be honest, this church, there's nothing political. I'm not gonna tell you how to vote or how to believe right now. I'm just saying, doesn't that make sense? Like, of course, you did something as atrocious as that. We need to, we need to do it back to you. And this is, guys, this is the system we were born into, but then Jesus comes into this world and announces the kingdom that was meant to be here before sin got involved. And he says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't fight back. Don't resist an evil person. And everyone would have been, what? And here's, here's my thought to that. That sounds, Jesus, holy. Really irresponsible. Don't fight back when someone's fighting you. And I'm a fighter. That's the disposition God gave me. It says this, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. He takes it a step further. If anyone slaps, I don't like this at all. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, I'm getting mad just reading a verse from Jesus. <laughs> if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, here's what my flesh says. If someone slaps me on the right cheek, I'm going to turn to them my left cheek so I get more inertia when I swing back on them. <laughs> That's what makes sense. That's what feels responsible if we're going to be honest in church this weekend, is it not? But what Jesus says is, no, give them the other cheek. Don't fight back. We don't, we don't win that way in the kingdom. Your heart says it's holy, doesn't it? 
But can we agree the only way we're going to be those kind of people is if there's a power in us, a grace in us to live that way because it spits in the face of how we were trained from birth to live and think and govern. He goes on. He's not done yet. He's trying to drive this home into people who saw it totally different. He says, if anyone, now it's getting personal here. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. No, it's cold, right? We're in Denver. I'm not doing it. Do you hear what he's saying there though? That sounds so irresponsible. If someone wants to sue you for your shirt, you're actually going to leave court and go, here, take my coat as well. Everything, come on, if we're being honest, everything about that sounds irresponsible on a multitude of levels. And yet something in our hearts, that grace peace that God has given us says, man, there's something holy about that. There's something about that type of spirit that could actually change our planet. But the only way that we could actually live that way is if it was an act of grace, just like that Macedonian church had when it came to financial responsibility. He's not done yet, guys. Here we go again. If one forces you to go one mile with them, go two miles with them. This was a Roman postal law. We don't have this issue anymore, so it's kind of weird, like one mile, go two with them. It's like, all right, whatever. I run a little bit. I can do that. Here's what it was, though. This is, has massive implications when you know first century Judea history. Here's what it is. Rome was oppressing the Jews in first century Judea. They were completely in charge of them. They could have their way with them and do whatever they wanted with them. And so Roman soldiers were not only policing and governing, they also had a second job. They were mailmen. And they were in charge in the Judea region of going from suburb to suburb, and they would carry these huge bags because they were strong guys, these Roman soldiers. They would carry these huge bags full of letters and full of currency. And currency was coined back then, not paper, so it was heavy. And they could do whatever they wanted with any Jew. Now, the Jews were extremely impoverished, kind of like this church in Macedonia, right? They were extremely impoverished and they were oppressed by Rome. So picture a Jewish guy out working for next to nothing in the field so his family can survive. And a Jewish guy or a Roman soldier is all of a sudden not in the mood to carry anymore. So he goes, here, we got a mile to this next city. You're on. He not only has to tell his boss he has to leave, but you know that boss doesn't have, is in a position while he's gone to pay him for doing nothing. So now his family suffers even more than they were going to suffer before to take this well-paid Roman soldier and do his job for him. You getting mad yet? Getting frustrated? You feel the pain yet? And Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, what we're reading right now, to a Jewish audience. So when he says, if someone asks you to go a mile with them, go two miles with them, do you understand? Kind of like how some of you sit during financial talks, angry, frustrated, what? They would have sat there and went, are you kidding me? You're telling me to treat my oppressor like that? And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what kingdom people do. It's the law that you carry the mail for a mile with them. It's love that you carry it two miles with them. And we can't change this world by being okay with the law. We change this world by radical love. And Jesus is going, I'm going to give you a Holy Spirit that is going to put my power and my thinking and my grace on the inside of you, Red Rocks Church, so you can actually live that way. And you go, yeah, but that sounds so irresponsible. Their family's starving. Their family's oppressed. He doesn't need to go another mile with the rich Roman soldier. He needs to go back and get to work, making pennies on the dollar to provide for his family. And Jesus says, no, 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 trust me. you got to trust me. I can supply for your family in the blink of an eye. But what I've limited myself to is the way we love this planet. And so go love your enemies. 
and everyone goes so irresponsible. And yet in your heart, you see Jesus not just preaching this, but living it. And you go, I think it's holy. See, the, the, the definition, the working definition that I'm going to give you for generosity, if we're going to be a generous church, is this. It is having the generosity is the grace from God or the power from God, interchangeable words there, to walk in a perpetual state of holy irresponsibility. That's what generosity is. It's walking in a perpetual state. Now, this takes a lifetime before you feel this too weighty, before you feel like this challenge is impossible, before it gives you too much anxiety during this sermon. Listen to me. Please hear me when I say this. Walking in a perpetual state of holy irresponsibility takes a lifetime of trial and error, of trust and mistrust, of doing it right and of doing it wrong and seeing the fruit from both ways. It takes a lifetime. God's not in a hurry. He doesn't care how well you do it. He just wants you to get it. And about the time we do, he usually lets us die and come to heaven where it's better anyway. <laughs> He's just wanting us to get it. He just wants us to go into this heaven where we don't have to worry about any of this with a little awe and appreciation for what heaven really is, for what God's original intent really was. He goes on to say this. It's like, Jesus, we get the point now. He's like, no, no, no. This is fundamental to you living a kingdom way. So I'm going to even give you another example. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Makes sense, right? Love those that love you and hate those that want to kill you and hurt you. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and um, hate your enemy. But I tell you, you ready for this, Red Rocks Church? Love your enemies. No, thank you. Right? And pray for those that persecute you. No, thank you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's why. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. You have a grace in you, whether you realize it or not right now, Red Rocks Church. You have a power and a grace in you right now if you so choose to stir it up by faith. To walk in a perpetual state of holy irresponsibility in the graciousness and generosity with which you treat people. Not the ones that love you. Anyone can do that. What's the reward in that? Tax collectors and sinners, Jesus went on to say, they do that. That's easy. That takes zero faith, and we're a kingdom of faith. It's faith that pleases God. What takes faith, though, is to love your enemies, those that don't have your best interest in mind, those that don't share your same approach to governance or policies. We love our enemies, and we pray for those who persecute us. Why? It's holy, and it's irresponsible. And when holy meets irresponsible, the kingdom starts to happen, and we're to pray that the kingdom comes down to this earth. You want me to give you the biggest example of holy irresponsibility being a real thing? Is Jesus, the Son of God, sitting in heaven on a throne at the right hand of God, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no poverty and God says the word and he leaves perfection he leaves holiness and he comes to this star in God's creation called earth that is the poster child of God's creation for irresponsibility ever since we ate that apple man this planet is the poster child in God's creation for irresponsibility so what happens this is Christmas right here Red Rocks don't miss this the personification of holiness, Jesus, comes into the womb of a teenage girl, comes into this world that is full of irresponsibility. And you know what we get when holiness and irresponsibility collide? We get the cross of Jesus Christ. The, we get the essence of generosity, the personification of generosity. When Jesus is on that cross, 
I think the most holy, irresponsible statement in the history of the world is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. With nine-inch nails pierced in his hands and feet, bleeding out and breathing out, suffocating, beaten within an inch of his life. We know the story. He's able still with such holy irresponsible. Doesn't that sound like on a multitude of levels such an irresponsible statement considering? He's looking at the men that put him on that cross with nails and says, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. That is the height and the pinnacle of holy irresponsibility. And listen to me, that is the sweet spot. And that's what Jesus has invited us as his disciples to participate in. That type of holy irresponsibility. And so I just want to end really fast with a, I think it's the most beautiful picture. It's not as intense as the cross, but it's the most beautiful picture of what it looks like for not Jesus, but for a human like you and me. Okay, we expect that statement somewhat from Jesus. But what happens when someone like you and me, some unsuspecting person, has this moment of complete and total holy irresponsibility? It's such a beautiful story. Let's read it. It's found in Mark chapter 12. Jesus is teaching at the temple. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are there for temple. Jesus taught and he said this, watch out for the teachers of the law, which is interesting because they were in the crowd. (laughs) I love it. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Jesus says something interesting here. They devour widows' houses because he's about to have an encounter with a widow who walks in an incredible amount of holy irresponsibility. They devour widows' houses and for show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely and then he finished the sermon with that. I'm like, awkward, man, but okay, you're Jesus. You can do that when you preach because you got, right? I ended a little kinder. (laughs) Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put, okay? So he went to what was called the court of women. There was all this, the temple was massive. They had outer courts, inner courts, the Gentile courts. They had the holy place. They had the holy of holies and a bunch of other places. But where they took the offering, it was called the court of women. And so Jesus is sitting now after his sermon at the court of women and it's offering time. Okay, picture it. And he sat where the offerings were put and watched the crowd, no pressure crowd, right? He watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and listened to this holy irresponsibility. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, if you're new to church, you deserve to understand a little more historical backdrop about first century Judea. Women and children on the caste system of God's creation were barely above animals. And I know it's still a man's world, lady, and I hope, to, I hope you know you got pastors that want to be people that help fight for how God feels. I love stories about Jesus and women because he comes and just messes up all the ideology of how men were supposed to treat women and how women were supposed to be respected by men. I love it. This is another one of those moments. But women were next to nothing. In fact, you can read a guy named Josephus. He's a Jewish historian. Not, he never claimed to be a Christian. But he was a Jewish historian in the time of Jesus. And he literally said that for centuries leading up to Jesus, men would literally sit with their families at breakfast. Picture this, okay, gentlemen, listen to this. 
learn from this. They would sit there and the prayer before the meal would go something like this really quick. God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile and I thank you that I'm not a woman. Shalom. Like, I don't know what kind of shalom is going to be in that house. I remember reading that years ago and I was a young preacher and everything was just new to me. And I'm like, surely that can't be true. But this is one of the most credible historians of the first century, Josephus. And I'm like, I'm going to give this thing a shot. (laughs) Hey, I've never told you guys I was smart. I've never once came up here and said, I'm real smart. Listen to me. Never said that. I prayed, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a woman. Bless this breakfast. You know what my next prayer was? Lord, which hotel is the cheapest but still has free breakfast? God, what's a good marriage counselor in the Denver metro area? Where can I get some really nice but cheap flowers to bring my scorned wife who kicked me out, right? Like, you don't do that. In our culture, our evolved culture 2,000 years ago, that sounds absurd. But I want you to sit under the weight of this widow Because here's what she represents. Here's what this text and this historical moment is trying to show us. She's the essence of vulnerability. She's the essence of somebody, if you're not going to give in the offering, we're going to give you a pass. Can we agree that the widow gets the pass? Because in that world, all of your finances was completely contingent upon having a husband and sons eventually. That was your only way in such an oppressive society, first century Judea, to make it. And so this this is why Jesus' brother, James, way after Jesus uh, rose from the dead, would write this in the book of James. Religion, if you want to use the word religion, okay. He says religion that is pure and faultless is to look after who? Orphans and widows. The two most vulnerable people on planet earth. Orphans and widows, right? Jesus says you really want to be kingdom people? You really want to walk in pure religion? Not all this concocted stuff that they had come up with and that we often come up with, then you take care of the most vulnerable and it doesn't matter their story and it doesn't matter how they got there. You just know that they can't help themselves and kingdom people help those who can't help themselves. We defend people that can't defend themselves. That is the story of Christmas is the Holy One. The Son of Heaven came down to earth to defend us from death and to defend us from judgment because we could not defend ourselves. And he doesn't ask our backstory before he asks us for salvation. He just says, do you want to be saved? I don't care how you got that way. I don't care what got you there. And then he says, now you treat people that way. The only way, though, we can do that is to have a grace that leads us to holy irresponsibility, right? Because we want to know everyone's backstory before we help them. We want to make sure it's a responsible help. I'm not going to give that homeless guy on the street money. He smells like alcohol. What if Jesus pulled up to planet Earth and said, I'm not going to give those crazy sinners grace. They smell like sin. (sighs) off to the next planet. (laughs) Right? Thank God Jesus didn't do that. God would have been up there like, no, son. Give them the cross. I know they smell like sin. Give them the cross. Give them your blood. Help them out. And it's holiness meeting irresponsibility. And you know what we partake in? Generosity. How dare we be people that are not generous. When we've been given something called grace, it makes no sense. You can't live a full life. You can't live and be the person you wake up and think about and work so hard and dream to be every day if you are not a person that is continually fighting to be a person walking in holy irresponsibility. 
It's a virtual impossibility. And so to, to, to prove my point, here's what Jesus does when he sees this woman go and give everything she has. He calls over his disciples and he says to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. And you think Peter would go, Jesus, I'm no mathematician <laughs> at all. I'm a fisherman. However, I don't think that's true, right? But he doesn't do it. Jesus says, no, no, no. She's put more in the treasury than all of the others. Why? They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put everything in. Remember that church in Macedonia? That welled up with rich generosity in the midst of what? Severe poverty. And here's a woman doing this exact same thing. It's completely irresponsible for her to give her last two pennies when she has nothing left to live on. Can we all agree? That's just common sense. Completely irresponsible. But don't you just read this story and everything in your spirit goes, that's such a holy moment. Don't you want to mow her lawn for the rest of life in heaven? I, I, I've signed up for that, man. Even this week, I was like, lady, I, I don't know your name. I don't know who you are, but you have inspired me 2,000 years later in a country they didn't even know existed when you were on planet Earth. I would be honored to mow your lawn in heaven for the rest of existence. It would be a privilege knowing what I know about this lady. And Jesus, here's what, if Jesus was about holy responsibility, here's what he would have done, okay? He would have said, disciples, come here, come here, come here, come here. See that lady just gave, that poor widow just gave her last two pennies? Go take it out of the bowl and give her a whole bunch extra and help her out. Because a religion that's pure and faultless is what? A religion that helps who? Orphans and widows. My, I'm offended intellectually that Jesus didn't say, lady, I love you. That's awesome. Take that out. What are you thinking? And here's a whole bunch more. And Jesus just goes and gives her all this money from the, that makes sense to me. That seems responsible to me. And band, you guys can go ahead and come on out, but that's not what Jesus does. And I think there's a point here. I was, I was getting ready to prepare on Friday for the message. And Sean and I, as you know, we prepare downstairs in the kids' room because it's just really quiet down there and there's room. And so I was down there and John Trowbridge, who's uh, the head of our facilities, at the Littleton campus, and an I'm not kidding, an incredible human being. So honored that I get to work with John. And so we're always having talks because he's down there working a lot right now. And he saw that I was down there. So he goes, hey, Chad. And he was painting this little thing. So he never even really looked at me. He goes, you must be preaching this week, huh? And he knew because I was down there. I go, yeah, I'm on. He goes, well, what you preaching about? I go, well, you remember the story about the, the widow with the two mites, the two pennies? He goes, oh, yeah, the lady who gave everything she had. I go, yep. And he goes, hey, Chad, and he just looked up at me and he goes, just so you know, during that offering on the 17th, I'm not giving everything I have. <laughs> just be above board. And, and I, I love John. And I looked at John, I said, John, just so you know, I'm not either. And I looked at him before I walked away and I said, I sure hope that's not the point of the story. Because I don't think you are either. If you do and God calls you, whoa, wow, awesome, amazing, wow. But, but I don't think that's the point of the story. Here's what I think the point of that story is. And it's this, generosity is, is not because of giving, it's because of faith. You understand that? A bunch of people gave in that offering and it took zero faith. And they gave huge sums and the world clapped because it was a coin currency and they had these gold coffers that they put them in and everyone walked down and it was kind of like a sport and a show at Temple because you could hear how much offering people put in, literally. Like it's like, like, oh, they're rich. And they walked away, the scribes, and they're like, just making it rain. 
And then this unsuspecting widow, and I don't know why she's hunched over in my story. It's, it's better Hollywood. It's better movie. Mother Teresa style. She's probably awesome. She's probably CrossFit, but I'm just sitting here like this, right? She goes over. Nobody's looking at her. Nobody cares about her. She's the low end of the totem pole in the caste system of life. And she goes, ding, ding, and walks away. Nobody recognizes anything except one person and he happens to be the creator of humans. He happens to be the one who hung the stars in the sky. And he calls his disciples over and goes, huge teaching moment. See that unsuspecting widow? And they're like, no, no one did. We're, we're watching the game being played here. There's some super rich guys throwing in some dime right now. And she's like, no, 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 look at this, look at this widow. She's given more than everybody. And again, it's not a math thing, it's a faith thing. There's a difference, Red Rocks, between giving and generosity. You can give without being generous. You can give without being generous because generosity requires faith. And I've given things before that took no faith. I could give somebody right now a $20 bill and by God's grace for me right now, that takes no faith. It's a nice thing to do, but it takes no faith. But when my wife and I, and we've been fighting and arguing and talking back and forth and praying before God what we're gonna put in the offering next week that I'm really excited about. I've just done this enough rounds now that I'm not scared of it anymore. I'm excited about it now. I hope some of you are there. If you're not, it's okay. It's okay if you're not there yet, but I'm excited. And if you're not, listen, God loves you. Can I, we need to have this rabbit trail. This is important because some of you are feeling condemnation because you're like, I don't know if I'm gonna give anything. Can I tell you there was a rich young ruler, a lot of money, a lot of fame, really important. And Jesus looked at him and said, what this lady once did, this widow did, he actually looks at the rich guy and goes, hey, one more thing, would you go and give it all? And you know what it said the rich kid did? Unlike the widow, he walked away exceedingly sorrowful because he couldn't do it. He didn't have the faith to do it. But, but here's what we never preach in that sermon. You know what it says? Jesus loved that kid. We never highlight that because we're always preaching like, would you give everything? And he walked away sorrowful, but it wasn't because God didn't love him. It's because he wasn't happy that he wasn't able to do that. He wasn't in a place yet. He walked away like, man, I can't do that. Which means, man, I like money too much still, right? And Jesus knew that about humans. He came to die for that kid. He loves that kid. And it said, he loved that kid. If you can't give in this offering next week, hear me when I say this at every campus, God loves you. You're just not ready yet. That's okay because God doesn't want you to give out of guilt or compulsion. Paul would go on to write that in 2 Corinthians. God wants us to give cheerfully. And that's a process. It's okay if you're not ready. No condemnation here. You can still celebrate next week even if you don't walk up to give your offering. When those buckets pass by to give your offering, you can still celebrate next week. You're just not ready. All I'm asking is we could care less about the dollar amount. We're not doing this because we're out of money. We're not doing this because we're building a building. We're not doing this offering because our bills aren't paid. We're not doing this offering because we're in some kind of trouble. We're doing this offering because we sit in plenty and we want to be dispersers of that to people like Nairup and people all over the world that we're starting to get involved with. We want to do this ultimately for your sake, not for the bottom line of Red Rocks Church we're going to be just fine if you don't give. We want to do this for your heart's sake. We want to do this to teach what it looks like to be a church that walks in holy irresponsibility. Because man, if you grasp this, it's a game changer for how you live your life. And everywhere you go, listen to me, generosity is this endless cycle of trading stuff for stories. And stuff doesn't go to heaven, stories do.
Stuff does not go to heaven, stories do. And we wanna be a church that leaves just a trail of stories of grace and mercy and generosity before we leave this planet. We're gonna push, we're gonna challenge, we're gonna be those churches. And so next week, I want you guys to pray about it, think about it. And the only thing I ask is that if you give, give generously, meaning this, just give enough to where it costs you some faith because faith pleases the Lord and look out. When you please the Lord, look out. He's got a few resources. He's got a little bit of power. He's got a little bit of sovereign control over your world. When you ple- So I don't care if it's $5, some of you, that's your number. Some of you, it's, it's $50,000 because of the way the Lord's blessed you. We could give a rip about that. What we care about is everybody's offering is met with faith. I was scared to preach, and I wrap up with this. I was scared to preach this message this week. I wish I was more courageous and noble, but I hate sitting under the weight of people judging my motives. It exhausts my soul. And I just told my wife all week I wasn't my best self. And I'm like, my soul is exhausted because of the topic of, because people are going to judge our motives. And, 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 and I can't prove to them what my motives are. And, and I started talking about this message and the, 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 the widow with two mites. And I was just like, God, I don't think this is the right thing. I just, I don't know if it's right. And then Friday, I went upstairs from the kids' room to my office to get a bottle of water that I left up there. And um, on my desk was this card. And it was from my aunt in another state. And a little over 10 years ago, she became a widow in her 50s. And because of some private matters, she can't work. Talk about a compromising position. And they didn't have all kinds of money in the bank after that. And my aunt loves, and she's proud of her nephews, right? Me and my brother. And so she loves to watch Red Rocks Church online. And she sent me this card with a check in it. And she said, Chad, just finished watching the service on Sunday, December 3rd. I felt moved to send this check. I know it's not much, but it's what I can do. I love you and I'm proud of you and your love for the Lord, Chad. Love you, Aunt Deb. And she sent a check for $20. And it it was like God going, I want you to preach on the widow. I could just put a note on your desk going, preach on the widow. Your aunt who has next to nothing and who is a widow just gave you, I almost promise you her last 20 bucks at Christmas. And I was sitting there getting so fired up and I'm going, I got, I got more than 20 bucks, Aunt Deb. Be looking in the mail this week because I can do something about that. So if you're watching and I know you are, Aunt Debbie, check the mail this week because some stuff's coming your way. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's our moment. But I got the mic and I'm going to use it. I love you, Aunt Debbie, but, but it was like, God, you, and my aunt has, since I've been born, deeply loved Jesus. She's never wavered in her love and her, her passion and her faith in Jesus, but she's fallen on some really, really hard times. And she listened to that really challenging, but difficult message last week in December and sent 20 bucks. And it was like God saying, I want you to teach about holy irresponsibility because it's what I bless and it's how this world gets changed. Listen, our, our government systems don't work. How long is it going to take us to realize our governments don't work? Irresponsible holiness is what works. Turning the other cheek is what works. Giving when you have plenty and giving when you don't have plenty is what works. It's what opens up heaven for heaven to come down to earth. When you pray 
Jesus' prayer, heaven come to earth, he's not answering that magically like, now heaven, now revival. Do you know what God does? He changes your, he gives you grace. Every time you say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's a dangerous prayer because how he's answering that is he's filling you with a supernatural power to walk in irresponsible holiness. It's called generosity. And then you go and do things like Jesus told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. And people around the world are like, what? That makes no sense. And yet it was beautiful. Who is this person? You go, I'm just a person who met Jesus. And he gave me the power to act like this. And they're like, tell me more about Jesus. That's our only hope for this world. There's no government. Let me, I know Americans, we love politics. It's not going to work. Vote, do your thing. It's awesome. It's an honor. It's not going to work. Jesus won't let it. The government that brings us peace is not upon Republican and Democrat shoulders. It's upon the saviors of the world's shoulders for this thing to come back. You understand that? Rest in that. Rest in that, man. But we have the part to play and it's gonna be this every single time. We show people we love and we show people that we can't stand irresponsible holiness, generosity this world gets changed. We're going to be that church. Would you guys stand and I'm going to pray for us. God, I pray for every single person at all of our campuses right now that is sitting under the weight of what generosity really looks like. Not giving, generosity. There's people right now that are uncomfortable. God, give them an increased grace to walk out of here in power to trust your system. God, there's people at all of our campuses and this feels extremely inconvenient, borderline insensitive because of the timing. All I can ask God is you give them a new and renewed, increased grace to walk in this kind of holy irresponsibility. God, next week, when we bring our offerings at all of our campuses, I pray that there would be an eruption of faith in this place so we can watch what you do, Father God. The stories that are gonna be told because of what happens next week, God, bless it in the name of Jesus and bless every person at this church. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's worship.